I have so many receptacles to drink out of. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like the cup to human ratio in this apartment is out of control. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am. Uh, I subscribe to the Kate Bishop philosophy of I'm one person. No, I'm like anytime I could have like 30 people over at my house. What if they all wanted to drink <laughs> water? Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we've missed. I'm Zach Pocklip. And I'm Amanda Luberto. And today's movie swap is about a couple of all-star casts. I watched Girl Interrupted for the first time. And Amanda, what did you watch? I watched The Philadelphia Story. Not to be confused with Philadelphia, which is a very different movie. Very true. Also not to be confused with like Philadelphian stories, which... Yeah, yeah. I assume are different. I've not been to Philadelphia. I've not. I really like to. It seems like a city I'd like. I've I've been twice. It's cool. Nice. You know, you should go now that you've seen Creed. I want to see the Rocky and statue. Rocky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, love that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, but before we talk about these uh, these all star casts and the many stars, none of which are Sylvester Stallone nor Michael B. Jordan. Correct. Um, how are you? What have you been watching? I'm well. It's been raining a lot, which has been the best. You know, my favorite time of year. Um, lots of good monsoon action here in the desert, um, which is great. But I've been watching, I don't know if I'm like trying to get into spooky season early, but I like looked at my August list so far and it's like mostly horror movies <laughs> or like thrillers <laughs> or like spooky movies, like not even on purpose. But I watched, here's your bingo sheet. I watched all of the boys in like oh. four or five days. Like I watched it so quickly. Uh, that sounds pretty unhinged. <laughs> the show rips. It's so good. <laughs> so I really liked The Boys. I'm excited for season four whenever it comes out. Um, one that I am late to the party, but is maybe from, oh, if I had to guess, like 2011, um, but is definitely like a thriller, a modern thriller classic, and one I would suggest if you like scary movies you've not seen, not scary movies, like suspenseful movies you've not seen it is Martha Marcy May Marlene, um, which is a, a, a movie starring Elizabeth Olsen. And it's uh, it's about this girl who, like, escapes a potential sex cult with, like, a lot of, like, mind, uh, like, manipulation. Mm -hmm. But it's, like, mostly happening in flashbacks. It's really good. She's really good in it. Um, it's, like, very focused around... Uh, Elizabeth Olsen's acting. So that was great. Um, and then last night I saw Bodies, 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 and it was so fun. And I'm really Hell glad yeah. I saw it. Uh, we love a Zillennial movie. Our mutual friend Jacob also saw that movie recently, and he is a teacher. And he so he asked his students if any of them had heard of the movie, and they said no. Um, so clearly a uh, movie for us. Yeah, it was really good. And it's funny because I'm like, oh, I know people who talk this way. <laughs> and like, I know people who act <laughs> this way. It was very funny. And um, I think the trailer actually does it like a huge disservice. I think like some of the more eye rolling parts of the movies are what is in the trailer. So if you have like any inkling whatsoever of just like wanting to have like a good slasher movie time at the theater, I would suggest going to see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I do want to see that. I know Shiva Baby is in it. Which yes, and I important. can't. I can never think of her real name. So every time she was on screen, I'm like, "Oh, Shiva, baby." <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like it's Rachel Seno or Senot or Senate. Sorry, Shiva, baby. It's Shiva, baby. 
Shiva baby, come on the pod. How are you? What have you been up to? What have you been watching? I'm so tired, um, but good. Uh, work's been busy. Lots of traveling. As You're Mr. Worldwide usual. right now. I, I'm Mr. at least uh, Rocky Mountains. You know, just came back from Salt Lake City. Um, that's where the Rockies are, right? I don't know. <laughs> no, nah, but I've been good. Been uh, inhaling a lot of movies this month, honestly. Um, the Criterion Channel put this collection of Myrna Loy movies together. Myrna Loy, of course, of Thin Man fame. And you know what's great? 1930s, 40s movies where you can just halfway pay attention. And it's just a charming good time. Uh, my favorite of the bunch is Libeled Lady. It has Spencer Tracy, Loy, William Powell, also Thin Man fame. And Gene Harlow. It's a very, very fun movie. I think I've watched like 10 of them at this point. It feels like it. Jeez. Um, Merloy, truly uh, just a special screen presence. We love her. She's like top tier, would love to drink a martini with. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so the other movies I've watched uh, other than that is uh, Tampopo, um, a classic from Japan about just a bunch of people trying to create the perfect bowl of ramen. And I cannot tell you how hungry I was after this movie. Um, is also one of the sweetest movies I watched. Speaking of sweet movies, I also watched Marcel the Shell with shoes on. It's so good. What a precious film. It was it was cute already, but I think the the cutest part of my experience watching the movie was when the credits rolled, this older woman behind me said to whoever she was at the movie with was like, What a surprise. Thank you so much for taking me. And That's that so was just cute. an exclamation point on a like sweet as can be film i love that that's why you go to the theaters that's why you share movies with your friends we love a uh shared experience hell yeah brother um, but we also love a solo experience and yeah i don't know where i'm going with that either i <laughs> love i love going to the movies by myself yeah i it was great i think there was like five people in the theater when i watched it and like Four of them were by themselves. I guess that makes the math six, but you get what I'm saying. Um, shout out to Jenny Slate. Yeah. I have no witty transition. I Listeners, I'm sorry. I, I got off a plane like 12 hours ago. Um, and, and Zach's working overtime today. If you have any issues, you can direct them to my <laughs> inbox and I'll virtually have some words with you. Look, I'll step up Zach's when we're there. Great. He's a rock star. Everything is wonderful. If you're mean to Zach, I will come for you. <laughs> Unrelated. Uh, it's Leo season. Let him let him be. <laughs> it's, it's legitimately the end, like the end of Leo season, like tomorrow. Um, yes, we have like only a couple more days. That's my my powers are dwindling. I just feel I have had less sunshine. I don't know if that's how that works, um, but it, sure. you know what? It, it's what we're going with. Um, okay, so all those movies and stuff we talked about. I feel like bodies, bodies, bodies could be a future all star cast. Um, you know, catching them early. Yeah. It's going to be one that ages well, hopefully. I think so. It's a definitely like a timestamp of right now. I was going to say, this is how I feel about the movie I had yes. you watch this month. Thank you <laughs> for transitioning go. for me. Um, so let's talk about these movies that have all-star casts. I kind of went with the heavy hitter approach and you went with, like you said, the, um, I don't know, buying stock early approach on the all-star Casts. So why don't you talk to the people about the movies we swapped and why we swapped them? Yeah, so I had Zach watch Girl Interrupted, which is a movie from 1999 that just has like a laundry list of of actors that 
are now famous, were like up and comers at the time. Um, and it's just a, a movie where like every scene has like another person. We're like, oh my God, I can't believe that person's in this movie. Um, so that's like always what I think of when I think of this movie. And then for me, Zach had me watch The Philadelphia Story, which is like three of the of Hollywood's biggest actors of all time in it. So like he said, like two approaches to all-star, but both appropriate and both like a, a fun little swap. I also think that this is a good swap, like good female characters all the way around in this in this swap. This is very true. I feel like um, we can get into this more, but it was a good time for everybody involved in terms of, you know, you can just project a lot of things either in the movie or if you want outside of the movie and it's all just very important to whoever's watching it. Um, so yeah. with that very weird sentence, do you want to um, pick the side of the coin that you would like to choose? Let's do heads. You're on a roll. I feel like this is like the fourth time in a row, but it's heads. So what are we talking about? Nice. Let's start with uh, the Philadelphia story. All right, Amanda, you are a uh, podcast producer in the your day job, and that makes you a great level alert. Level level alert. Anyway, you watch the Philadelphia story. <laughs> I love that <laughs> movie. Opens with a fight between Tracy Lord, played by Katherine Hepburn, and her husband C.K. Dexter Haven, played by Cary Grant. The results in them getting a divorce. Two years later, she is at home with her mother, who is also separating, and her sister Dinah planning her wedding with her new man, George, played by John Howard. She is an upper-class Philadelphia socialite, and George is a middle-class working man. Meanwhile, at Spy Magazine in New York, her ex-husband is telling their editor-in-chief that he can get the exclusive story, the inside scoop of the illustrious Tracy Lord's wedding. Tracy Lord and her family... Famously, do not talk to the media, so this is a big get. Spy sends a reporter named McCulley Mike Connor, played by Jimmy Stewart, and photographer Liz Embry, played by Ruth Hussey, posing as friends of Tracy's brother. Once at the estate for the wedding, Dexter tells Tracy what's happening and says that he's being threatened to do the story, or else Spy will write an article about Tracy's father's affair. But he doesn't tell Mike or Liz that he's telling Tracy what is happening. Hopefully you all kept up with that one. Thus begins the ruse inside the ruse. The family fakes being elitist and annoying in order to have them write a ridiculous story. Dexter is welcomed back lovingly by the family who thought him and Tracy should have never gotten a divorce. While all of this is happening, Tracy is beginning to see redeemable qualities in her ex-husband, new admirable qualities in reporter Mike, and not as exciting qualities in her fiancé George. This culminates at a party the night before the wedding, where Tracy gets drunk on champagne, Mike tells her everything she wants George or Dexter to tell her, and they kiss. George and Dexter both find out that night, and they both have very different reactions. The next morning, every person is severely hungover, and some of them don't have full memories of the night all except for little sister Dinah, who watched the whole thing from her bedroom window. In the end, Tracy admits to George that they're not that good for each other. She tells Mike that he's wonderful, but not for her. And her and Dexter get remarried in the ceremony that was meant for her and George. How'd I do? Perfect. That was great. 
Excellent. I feel like I'm like missing a scene, but I also think that that's like basically the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of words in this movie. Whereas like, you know, you give me movies that like a lot of movie happens. I feel like I tend to give you a movie where like lots of words happen. Um, yeah, but that's true. But no, I think you nailed it. I think this is an obvious one, but why did you pick this movie? So uh, one of the greatest rom-coms ever. I think it's five on the AFI list of rom-coms. Uh, has three of the greatest movie stars of all time with Katherine Hepburn, Jimmy Stewart, and Cary Grant. And personally, this is my like ideal 1940s Sunday morning movie. It's a comfort watch as hell. And uh, it's a movie where movie stars get to be movie stars. Um, and, it's, and it's a great time all around. But um, those are the obvious things. This is We're not here for the general consensus on the movie. We're here to find out what you felt about it. So what was your first impressions? What stood out on your first watch of The Philadelphia Story? So I really loved the ruse inside the ruse. I loved watching Tracy and her mom and her sister just be super over-the-top elitist. Yeah. I thought that was very funny. Mama. And Yeah, she's like, they're like speaking French and the little girl's like doing uh, ballet and all that stuff. And then like the mix up with the dad and the uncle. And like, I thought that was very funny. Um, And then I also like that, you know, they're, they're playing on each other and Dexter sort of just like watching all of these things circle around him as like the ringleader of the entire situation, which I thought was very funny. It is fun. And it's also fun because uh, in a way, because everybody knows what's going on except for the journalists have no idea what's happening. They're just like, these people, these rich people are insane and out of touch. And they don't know that the games are being played above them, which uh, there's something to be said about the rich people knowing more than the journalists trying to cover them. Um, But we don't have to get into that. Uh, It is, it it creates a lot of uh, slapstick and screwball situations, not to the extent of like other movies with Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn, but uh, definitely makes it a fun time. I love Jimmy Stewart, which I'll talk about more, but something that I really, uh, that first stood out to me was that I relate to drunk Jimmy Stewart in the way that like, I like to drink too much champagne, scream, ask too personal of questions and gossip. Like that's my favorite thing to do when I drink too much (laughs) champagne. (laughs) It like usually, usually doesn't end in like a kiss and a swim, but like maybe it should, like maybe it should start. (laughs) You need to find your Catherine Hepburn essentially. Yeah, basically. I just love that they're like, they're so drunk and he's like hiccuping and he's just like screaming at the top of his <laughs> lungs for uh, CK Dexter. Hey, <laughs> absolutely. So sorry, <laughs> and like, he's just like asking all these like extremely personal questions that Dexter's like, uh, I do not have to tell you that. <laughs> and then uh, just like going to, um, going to Tracy and like gossiping. And I'm like, yeah, Jimmy Stewart, me too. <laughs> So the hiccups, let's talk about the hiccups first, <laughs> because it's such a choice. And turns out he improv that. And my favorite part is that when he first hiccups, Cary Grant is so caught off guard that he says, excuse me. And then there's like a weird six second silence. And they kept it in because both guys are trying to not break. It's like an SNL skit all of a sudden. And I think that is hilarious. And it's like my favorite part of the movie, despite it not being like a real thing in the movie. Um it's just so funny because Cary Grant is just like staring at Jimmy Stewart and being like, what the actual hell are you doing? I need to try to keep up. And like Jimmy Stewart's like blowing him off of the screen. 
Yeah, absolutely. It sort of reminds me of like uh, the scene in Wolf of Wall Street where you can see Leo look <laughs> off camera where he's like, is this happening? Yeah. But like also a person in that scenario would be like, what is going on? And it's like a perfect situation where like Cary Grant is like, what? Get it together, my guy. <laughs> and <laughs> Jimmy's like, like I'm going for it. <laughs> yeah. And it's everybody just. I think Cary Grant talked about how he struggled to just keep up with Jimmy Stewart because sometimes he would just find himself watching Jimmy Stewart despite being in the same scene with him. And uh, that scene is probably the biggest example of like the comedy of this movie and kind of why I love this movie is so much of the comedy is silent. It's just in like Mm -hmm. looks and reactions. I think of Jimmy Stewart in the library, dost thou wish the whatever. And he's just mm-hmm. so amused by her and it's just in his face and it's just in like him peeking back around the corner. There's like a million moments like that in this movie and it's 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 awesome. I also had to say that uh, this, mo- this movie is based on a play. Um, I don't know really anything about the stage play, but the I did notice like the entering and exiting of a room is very much like like off scene, like off screen entering. Off, oh, yeah. Like it just is very play like the way you would like enter um stage and then the pacing of the way they were talking reminded me it's very much of this time but also reminded me a lot of a stage play where like people in theater don't talk the way people normally talk they talk like almost like one right after the other um in this movie the pacing is very similar like you're almost like the actor isn't listening to what the other actor is saying like they've are they're just like waiting to say their line Mm -hmm. but i only noticed that because i watched it like very carefully. Um, it wasn't distracting, but I was like, oh, this is very like theatrical. Wait, do I get to have a theater corner right now? Yeah, Zach's Holy theater corner. Shit. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so obviously this was based on a play and the playwright, it, Philip Berry in 1939, based this character on Catherine Hepburn. Like he wrote to Catherine Hepburn. This was like a huge moment in Catherine Hepburn's career because in 1938, um, she was qu- called "quote unquote" box office poison after bringing up baby kind of flopped. Oh and, no! And, and, and like that article gets taken out of context and just like summed up as like people don't like Jerome Crawford, Catherine Hepburn, and these women. But the article was more about like from the independent theaters uh, wanting the studios to like get away from the star system, and it's a very much of its time. Anyway, all that matters is that people thought that it was just about people not liking Catherine Hepburn anymore. And so Catherine Hepburn was like, I need to figure something out. And so she takes, she moves to New York. She breaks up with Howard Hughes or whatever and uh, leaves LA, does this play, does 400 performances of it. It's like hugely successful. But yeah, so she did 400 performance of it. And then the last performance, she did like all the curtain calls and they open the curtain and close the curtain and open the curtain and close the curtain. And the only thing she asked was like, on the last curtain call, like leave the curtains open because it was like her wanting to like hope that this kind of led into more stuff for her in the forties. This becomes the adaptation and obviously Catherine Hepburn is the lead. And this was like a huge movie for her and like her comeback. This is also a movie that led Spencer Tracy to being talked into like, Oh, I guess people do like Catherine Hepburn. I guess she can play like, um, a certain ty- kind of character, and then that springs the iconic pairing of Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, both on and off screen. So um, this is just so ingrained into like huge Hollywood lore, um, and it was 
kind of crucial that uh, the play worked and like Catherine Hepburn was able to rehab her image, which was like, didn't need rehabbing, but unfortunately needed rehabbing because this movie was like kind of indirectly meta commentary on what people thought Catherine Hepburn thought of herself in terms of like being a goddess and being a bronze statue and people wanting her to step off the pedestal and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, I'll I'll cut it off there or else I'll just like keep talking about it for like minutes and minutes. But um, that was uh, my first theater corner. I I respect you so deeply for doing this all the time because I'm just like, wow, here's all this information about, about theater. (laughs) Yeah, it was also like old Hollywood corner, which is like definitely more your corner. Um, That was great. Good job. Thank you. Anyway, back to your first watch of this movie. I mean, she feels like the most lived in her character, which like would make sense if this was like performance 419 for her, where it was like Mm -hmm. performance one for everyone else in this character. Um, She feels very much like she is Tracy Lord. Um, so that was great. She's wonderful. And apparently like in the stage performances during like the emotional moments of the play, she would like really cry and like get very emotional on stage. And, uh, George Cooker, the director was like, we have to kind of reel that back or else people will think you're like taking yourself too seriously or et cetera, et cetera. It'll take away from the, the comedy aspects of the movie as well. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a huge, uh, huge movie for her. I like that she got to do it like sort of on her own terms and like for herself. That's great. I think she foregoed a salary, but then took like 45% of the profits of the movie. <laughs> and, and this movie made bank. Like it was a Good big time, like, yeah, movie 45. star moment for her. Yeah. Good contract. <laughs> it's a great contract. Catherine Hepburn's agent joined the Arizona Republic Union. <laughs> work on our contract oh lord (laughs) what else stood out to you on first watch my other first impression is that this is a great sister movie (laughs) there's so many little good interactions first of all dinah perfect little sister energy like she's a twerp but she like loves her sister and Mm -hmm. like wants her to like marry the guy that like she thinks is best and like dinah is great and i thought that she was good but there's a lot of like very there's like funny, classic, like big sister, little sister, like bickering moments. But there's like there's also like very sweet, tender moments between the sisters. And as an older sister uh, with like a good age gap, I was like, oh, that's that's very sweet. So I liked it. I think it's a good sister movie. Secret sister movie. I feel like your sister is always on your mind uh, when you watch a movie. So anytime there's a sister relationship, it is there. But other than that, what have you thought about the most since watching? Like, this movie is so romantic. I know we literally just watched Casablanca, but <laughs> my main takeaway from Casablanca is, like, that movie is a politics movie that has a romance. This is a romance movie. Holy cow. There's so many beautiful scenes. The way, like, her conversation with uh, Dexter at the pool where they like finally say what they've been like meaning to say to each other about like why it didn't work, but why they definitely still love each other. Then like her conversation drunk with Mike and like him basically saying like, no, like you're a real person. You deserve to be treated like a real person. It's like everything that she wanted to hear. And like her early like conversations about George and like how the, he's just like a breath of fresh air and like all of these things, like these are like three full romances that she has in this film. And it is 
beautiful. It's so overwhelming. <laughs> I I loved it. I was like really swept up in all of it. And truthfully, I mean, George is obviously not the right answer because like they just like don't have the right chemistry. But if she had ended up with any of these men, I'd be like, I get it, sister. This is great. <laughs> Imagine just being carried by Jimmy Stewart from the pool while he sings Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Zach, I can't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> wait, can I tell you a Jimmy Stewart rumor? Uh, wait, can I? Okay, yes. One second. My other thing I thought a lot most about since watching this film is that I love Jimmy Stewart. I love the sound <laughs> of his voice. I like don't know if that's his real voice or his like I'm a Hollywood actor voice. But it's perfect, and I wish I need to finish watching more of his catalog because I've actually seen quite a bit of his films um, for someone who has, like, a huge blind spot for older Hollywood films. Um, he is wonderful. I love Jimmy Stewart. Please tell me his rumor, unless the rumor is that he's a bad guy. No, 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 no. Uh, the <laughs> rumors, and this is, like, total, like, just TMZ. Uh, what's that? Dubois? Is it that Dubois? Dumois. Dumois. like gossipy, just like total Hollywood gossipy stuff. But like, apparently there was a book that was like really into cat. Like it was basically about Catherine Hepburn's sex life. Um, but anyway, the, the portion that talks about the Philadelphia story, apparently everybody wanted to sleep with Jimmy Stewart. Catherine Hepburn wanted to sleep with Jimmy Stewart. George Cukor wanted to sleep with Jimmy Stewart. Cary Grant wanted to sleep with Jimmy Stewart. Apparently he had this legendarily long penis that was longer than Clark Gable's is something that the book talks about. Um, incredible and he's just like everybody just thought he was the sexiest man on the like he has just bde for days but another funny part is he was supposed to get into a swimsuit as well in that pool scene but didn't want to because he felt his legs were too skinny and he said something Aww. like he said something like if i show my legs that's going to be the end of me and also hollywood as an industry <laughs> incredible um but when his yeah, hair is wet and he has like one little ringlet in his uh -huh. eye i'm like Stop it. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Stewart. Put me in your pocket, Mike. Please. James, it's all I ask. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's it, cosign. Um, <laughs> something that surprised me that I've thought a lot about um, that I actually didn't know going in or like halfway through the movie, I didn't realize that this was both my first Cary Grant movie and my first Katherine Hepburn movie. Oh, wow. I definitely thought I had seen movies that they had been in, but like as I was watching it, I was like, you know, looking stuff up, just like little things. And I was like, oh, what else was Cary Grant in? And I was like, I've literally seen none of these movies. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, but Catherine Hepburn for sure. And then I looked it up. I was like, oh, no, I've seen none of these <laughs> movies. And I was like, OK, Jimmy, you got to come through for me. And I like clicked on it. I was like, OK, I've seen a lot of these movies. OK, good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, th thank God. I, I like, I do know what I'm doing. All right. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we've all had like an American Christmas. And so we've all seen uh, It's a Wonderful Life. It's my sister's favorite Christmas movie. We watch it every single year on Christmas Eve. Do you want me to tie a lasso around the moon? I'll do that for you, Mary, is the best line in Hollywood. That is <laughs> so good. Romantic. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Stewart, a romantic guy. Um, in a lot of romantic yeah. movies. But I don't blame you for the whole Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn thing. It's been many years. Um, I, I feel like unless you are intentionally shown um, these person's movies when you're young, it might just like not be on the radar. It wasn't on my, my radar. Um, I am surprised a little bit about the Cary Grant part because he isn't in a few uh, Hitchcock movies. And I know you love your Hitchcock. And he's also in uh, another fun one, if you need one, is uh, Charade, 
Um, he's with Audrey Hepburn, which I know is going to come up in a second. I'm glad this is like a huge, uh, gigantic sunlight of a spotlight into some blind spot areas. But the thing is, like, I, I only bring it up because I was like, if you had asked me, when did I watch this? Two days ago? If you'd asked me four days ago, if I had seen a Cary Grant movie, I would have been like, absolutely, yes. Of course I have. Like, I have definitely seen Cary Grant in movies. And then I was like, looking through the list, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I have seen none of these movies. I've heard of a lot of them, of course. Um, Trade, North by Northwest being two huge ones, but Penny Serenade, like I've heard of a ton of these movies. Um, His Girl Friday, as we mentioned, Bringing Up Baby, blah, blah, blah. But I just had not seen any of them. And I was like, oh, dear. And then I did the same thing with Catherine Hepburn. Like, again, if you had asked me a couple of days ago, like, have you seen a Catherine Hepburn movie? I would have said like, Without a doubt. Of course I have. And I was looking through and I was like, oh, no, I, don't, I haven't seen any of these movies. Oh, oh geez. So that is definitely on my list of things to do is to watch more movies that they've been in. There's no reason why I haven't. It just, I don't know, hadn't come up, I guess, which is, I guess, my fault. <laughs> No, look, the whole premise of this podcast is that it doesn't matter when you get to these movies. It's just that you get to them. And honestly, when I watched The Philadelphia Story, I think I might have had a similar, if not the same reaction. Um, or I had seen like a few Cary Grants and a few Catherine Hepburns and, and whatever. But like it kind of opened the door to wanting to watch more of them and kind of was that origin story of getting into like the old Hollywood greats. And it's fun to see them all together. And then it's fun to see them on their own or in, in other movies together because uh, the studio system and them all just being all in the same movies over and over again. So other than looking up whether or not you had seen a Cary Grant or Katherine Hepburn movie before, what were some of the other first things you looked up about the movie? Maybe I'm the world's dumbest dummy, but I had no idea that Audrey and Katherine Hepburn were not related. Again, had you asked me four <laughs> days ago, I would have been like, I bet my life savings that that's a mother-daughter duo for sure. Obviously, literally not even oh. close, like not related at all. Audrey <laughs> is from Brussels. Like they're not even close. I yes. literally had, this was the, we called it the reverse of you finding out that Nicolas Cage is a Coppola <laughs> is me finding out that Audrey and Catherine Hepburn are not related at all. Like no blood shared. Right. Yeah. The, <laughs> Turns out there are seven families yeah, in Hollywood. and this is not one of them. <laughs> no. I mean, maybe they're related somehow now. Like, maybe there's been some crossover, Not according but, to a quick uh, Google search. Can you imagine if they were related, though? That'd be insane. I, it, do it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying try to come around to it, but... Um, the timeline doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> the only words I have going through my head are golly Moses. Um, what else did you look up about the movie? Of course, I wanted to know how it was received. Um, it was like a huge comeback for Katherine Hepburn, as we said, but not that this score matters at all, but it does have a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty cool. Um, Rotten Tomatoes famously made for uh, Rush Hour, never forget. Um, <laughs> it was nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, and several others. It won for Best Actor, Jimmy Stewart, and Best Screenplay, which was very exciting. 
fun fact about Jimmy Stewart again, um, and less sexual, but uh, he felt like he didn't deserve the Oscar for this one. He thought uh, it was like just a retroactive win for uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Also love that it won Best Screenplay as a person who uh, believes that screenplay is the cool kids category and uh, love that a rom-com won it. I know rom-com has won like many times before, I don't know, like 1980, but uh, seeing that we are in the year of our Lord 2022 when it's just hard to get a rom-com made, it's cool to see it get uh, nominated and win for screenplay. Um, Were there any other like questions or like thoughts you had in your mind about this movie? Yeah, I want to know a little bit more about your history with this movie and if you like High Society, which is the musical version of this movie, this adaptation, better, slash, do you think I should watch it? So it's a little bit of a three-pronged question here. I'll take those in order. Um, so my history with this movie is, I believe it's a favorite of my sis- oldest sister's. Um, she is a sucker for old movies. Um, but I didn't watch it for the first time until like 2018 or 19. Like I came to it incredibly late. Like I said, I hadn't seen a lot of Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant or Jimmy Stewart movies to that uh, extent at that point. Um, but upon watching it immediately became one of my favorites. I love watching an old movie on a Sunday morning. Um, Sundays are often my only full day off. And so I love to just like love to just relax and uh, ease into a Sunday. Um, especially whenever uh Liverpool FC stresses me out earlier in the day. Plainly, it's it's a way better movie than High Society. Like High Society is fun, but it's like not really close. Is that like a well shared opinion, or is this your opinion? Oh yeah, no, no, no. I think uh, High Society is generally regarded as like fun, cool to see Grace Kelly. It's Grace Kelly's last movie. Um, you know, Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra, they sing, they're cool, but it's it's just not. It doesn't have the same verve. Um, High Society is almost like watching a supercut of the Philadelphia story because it just skips along to the big scenes and like it almost feels like Grace Kelly's doing a Catherine Hepburn impression, but also it's Grace Kelly doing her thing as well. So there's parts of it that I like and like it depends on a mood. Like I went to go see High Society in theaters when they were uh, showing it, I think in 2021, and it was fun and I had a good time. I love the uh, song about jazz or whatever that Bing Crosby sings with Louis Armstrong. But it, as like a film, it, it doesn't have the same kind of like energy or like like charisma between all the leads. Um, it's just not really there. So again, love High Society. It's a beautiful looking movie, um, but it's definitely inferior to the Philadelphia story. Despite that ringing endorsement, I do think you should watch it. <laughs> it's funny to see Frank Sinatra like act and like him and Bing Crosby sing together. Like so like, you know, the, the, the king of the crooners. Mm-hmm. Um, whole situation and honestly it's straight up worth it just to see grace kelly um it's probably one of her more fun roles she gets to do she gets to be a little biting she gets to be a little bit melodramatic um you get to see her just in love with uh, and how all these guys dote over her and she's rocking the ring that the prince of monaco gave her in that movie uh, and it's just a fat rock dude it's crazy <laughs> nice my last question is did you know that Cary Grant is his stage name and his born name is Archibald Leach. I actually just found this out like yesterday. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, much better stage name than Archibald Leach. <laughs> Though Ar- Archie, um, Archie Grant is pretty cute. Or even Archie Leach. Uh, no, that's not good. No, Leach is I, Leach bad. is just a tough one. Do you have any questions for me? Um, I have a few. If you were Tracy, who would you have picked? 
she picks the right answer, but I would have definitely picked Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> Here's the thing. Dexter doesn't really do anything to like really win back. I think that like in their argument, I think she gets an understanding of why they broke up. And then I think like they get like a little bit of closure in that fight. And then she just sort of like notices things about him through the rest of the film that like she appreciates about him. And I I think that she's able to sort of like reset and they're able to have like fresh ground after they like have it out in that pool scene in the, in like the middle of that movie. Um, I get it. (laughs) I, I get, I get why she went back to him, but you know, Jimmy Stewart though. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So here's a fun one. If they, for some unforsaken reason remade this movie, or maybe just a adaptation of this movie, a reimagining of this movie. Who would you cast as the trio using today's actors? So I went for like three different age groups of actors, basically. Sort of like a little older, probably on par, and then like a little younger. Um, so my little older has Oscar Isaac playing Dexter, Jessica Chastain, and Pedro Pascal playing Jimmy Stewart's role. Pedro Pascal it does like great physical physical comedy the way that um, Jimmy Stewart does, and I think like a pool scene between him and Jessica Chastain would be like very funny, uh, but also like very charming and very cute. And I could see him like playing a a reporter, and then Oscar Isaac is sort of the like handsome upper class one that you probably should get back together with and the one your mom likes and like all that kind of stuff. And the one where your sister's like, why are you, you gotta go back with him. And the one that like tells you at the end that like this wedding is now our wedding. Like that is a very, I feel like Oscar Isaac sort of thing. And him and Jessica Chastain in scenes for a marriage is so hot. So just keep them together. (laughs) What a duo. My like probably the same age. I don't have like a good judge of how old these actors were in this movie, but I'm just going off a of feeling. Um, in this mm-hmm. one, I've got Glenn Powell, everyone's current favorite heartthrob, as oh, yeah. um, Dexter. I have Amelia Clark playing Catherine Hepburn's role. I feel like she can kind of do it. She's so cute and is just like so like bubbly the way I think Catherine Hepburn is. Um, but also like stoic and beautiful. And like, if someone said that like, she's a bronzed goddess, I'd be like, I understand can like definitely play like upper class, but like trying Mm -hmm. to like pretend like class doesn't matter to her. And then I think Taron Egerton would be a very fun Mike. I think that he, especially after rocket man, like just can do a lot with his body. He's very, got that big old smile and I could see him like pulling Amelia Clark in and being like, you are made of flesh and blood and you're amazing and the light is inside <laughs> of you. And, like all these things, like I could see him like hiccuping after too many champagnes and I think that that would be like a good trio. And then uh-huh. my like up and comer kids, my younger ones, I have... This is like the Netflix one. Yeah, the, definitely. I have Lucas Hedges, who I always love, and it hasn't been in a movie in a long time, but I really like. Um, I have him playing the Dexter role. I have Kieran Shipka playing Tracy. And mm-hmm. I have Jordan Fisher, which I don't know if you know Jordan Fisher that well, but yeah. he has like some 
uh, stage credits as well as having some movie credits. And I also mm-hmm. think that like you put him in a tux. He's very handsome. He's very cute. Mm-hmm. He is great in rom-coms. So I could see him in that like role of, you know, art artist that sweeps you up sort of situation. Yeah. Those are all great choices. Um, Thank you. I also couldn't help but like, you know, come up with my own trios as of course. Uh, asking this question. So here are mine. The first one is Zoe Dutch, Glenn Powell and O'Shea Jackson Jr., I feel like O'Shea could play the Dexter role and Glenn Powell could get to do a little bit more as as Mike, especially because him and Zoe Deutsch have such a good chemistry in uh, Set It Up. I want them to be back in a movie together like yesterday. My other one would be Gosling in the Tracy role and then Emma Stone and Margot Robbie. I love this. Doing that whole thing. I think I want Margot Robbie to be Dexter in this situation and Emma Stone play the journalist. Yeah, of course. Emma Stone has to be the like goofy fun one. Yeah, but then here's the kicker. Adam Driver as Kittredge. I love t- 12 out of 10. This is so good. <laughs> I was also trying this is funny cuz like I had all of these actors on my list as well of like how do I get them in these movies? Uh-huh. Yeah, my roster was ridiculous. It was like the X-Men roster or something. Um and then this is a very like our age version. It would be Zendaya, Timothy Chalamet, and Tom Holland, aka the love triangle that we all love. Yeah, um, that's a classic. That they theorize about in the internet. That's an. It's like the most on the nose, easiest. Yeah, that was on my list originally, and I saw it was on your list, so I took it off my list. I was like, "Oh, we're still going to talk about it." <laughs> yeah, 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 it's it was going to be on on someone's list somewhere. Um, all right, and then the last question I have before I like get to a couple comments. Um, oh, no. Do you have a go-to like hangover move? Like, do you have a stinger that takes away the sting? Do you have an Uncle Willie in your life who does weird and wonderful things? I do not have any Uncle Willies in my life, but I feel like as soon as I turned 27, hangovers got way worse. So that's Dude, what you have. Suck. That's what you have to continue to look forward to. But um, <laughs> it's terrible. I think my go-to move has just been like that first wake up at like seven we were like what the fuck mm-hmm. why am i awake immediately just try to drink as much water as possible and then probably take an advil go back to mm-hmm. sleep wake up again at a normal time close all the curtains in my house i love a natural light so they're <laughs> usually all open and then recently i've been making momofuku instant noodles if they're oh, like yeah. a little spicy, oh, they're yeah. very quick and easy to make. Um, and they're really tasty. So that's been my like so hangover food recently. You know, drink a liquid IV, try not to yep. die. <laughs> God, hangovers are <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 a true uh pain in life. I used to just be like, all right, if I have some black coffee and a breakfast burrito, I'm good. Uh, I feel like after 25, that just shifted drastically. I do still go for the breakfast burrito when I can, but um, honestly, it's just just getting some sleep, getting some water in me. And honestly, I just throw on a black and white old movie and let it wash over me, like the Philadelphia story. Uh, so in a way, it is a hangover cure within itself. Real quick, last two comments. I think uh, Ruth Hussey is the sneaky MVP of this movie um, as Liz Embry. Like We love a photographer girl. 
her face when uh, Tracy said, like, I'd marry you, but I think that Liz would be upset. She just, like, lights up, and I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I know the whole time, but I remember watching it the first time and be like, Jimmy Stewart, open your eyes yeah. to Liz. Please. For real, my guy, come on. And then lastly, this was kind of like the first rom-com where it has like the journalist who wants to do real work and is reluctantly doing the job that's going to change their life in a way because um, they'll meet like some love interest who shifts their, their mindset. Um, and it's funny that usually it's the woman in the rom-com that is playing this journalist, especially like in the 90s and 2000s. But Jimmy Stewart is that journalist in this one. So just a fun little early inversion there. Yeah, that's great. Would you watch this movie again? I would. I would love to watch it again. That was an easy one for me, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you watched it. I'm glad uh, it shone some light on uh, some blind spots, both like the movie itself and then potentially opening the rabbit hole to uh, old Hollywood. Yeah. I'm excited to continue down. <laughs> Let's take that moment and move to Girl Interrupted. But first, let's take a break. This episode of Blind Spotters is totally not brought to you by Esther's Kitchen in the Las Vegas Arts District. Run by Vegas local James Trees, Esther's Kitchen is named after Trees' Aunt Esther, who helped him get started on his culinary journey. And now, Trees serves some of the best modern Italian food in the valley. With a menu that changes with the season and a warm, welcoming atmosphere, Esther's is a must. Check it out next time you're in Vegas. Zach, what happened in Girl Interrupted? All right, Girl Interrupted, 1999 film directed by James Mangold, written by Mangold, Lisa Loomer, and Anna Hamilton Fellin, based on a memoir of the same name by Susanna Kaysen. Does that name sound familiar if you've seen this movie? It should, because in the 1960s, 18-year-old Susanna Kaysen is played by Ronan Ryder, and she is checked into Claymore, a psychiatric hospital, after apparently attempting suicide. She'll say she just had a bad headache, though. There, she meets the gang of girls, most notably Lisa, who is played by Angelina Jolie, and she has been there for eight years and is sort of kind of like the ringleader of the group uh, in the in Claymore. As Susanna adjusts to life there, she is diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and she and Lisa begin to get closer, particularly after Lisa comes to her defense while the group is on an outing getting ice cream. One day, Susanna is like, fuck buddy basically toby who is played by jared leto visits her after he has drafted to serve in the vietnam war and while visiting he begs her to escape to canada with him but she rebuffs him because of the friendship she's making in claymore uh that same night polly who is played by one elizabeth moss has a nervous breakdown and so lisa and Susanna sing a song with her and Susanna hooks up with one of the orderlies at the hospital as well and so the next morning valerie who is like the head nurse played by Whoopi Goldberg, finds them in the hallway and punishes them. Lisa gets the brunt of the punishment, having to undergo electroshock therapy and confined to isolation. But Lisa breaks out and gets Susanna to come with her and escape Claymore. And they hitchhike to the apartment of former patient Daisy, who is played by one Brittany Murphy. That night when they're there, Lisa taunts Daisy about many things, including but not limited to her sexually abusive father. And the next morning, Daisy commits suicide. This causes a huge rift between Susanna and Lisa. Susanna decides to return to Claymore while Lisa continues to run away. And 
Susanna kind of pours herself into recovery. She opens up to the therapist. She starts to write down like her thoughts, um, kind of crafting what would be this memoir. And as Susanna is getting close to being released, uh, Lisa is brought back to Claymore. The night before Susanna is set to leave, Lisa steals the diary and uh, reads it to her fellow patients, which causes you know some some drama and a confrontation. And this causes Susanna to confront Lisa about her actions and saying that she doesn't have a heart. And this kind of really uh, nails Lisa to her heart. And she contemplates suicide for a quick second before uh, the others talk her out of it. The next day, Susanna and Lisa recuperate their friendship and they forgive each other and promise to uh, remain friends. And then Susanna says her goodbyes to the people of Claymore. How'd I do? I know I like kind of just like yada yada it. No, but that's basically it. You did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. One, it is uh, very good, and we can talk more about that later. But when we talk about all star casts, like this movie always comes to mind. I mean, we've got Winona Ryder, Angelina Jolie, Clea Duvall, Brittany Murphy, Elizabeth Moss, Jared Leto, Whoopi Goldberg, Jeffrey Tambor, like all, like anybody and everybody is in this movie. Um, it's so good. All of, like someone really just had a sense in the 90s in whoever the casting director is was like all of these girls will be famous one day <laughs> and like she was right so that's i wanted you to sort of witness that um and have that interaction so this leads us into the perfect first question um what were some of your first impressions so many people in this movie and they're so young. It's like before they kind of pop off. Obviously, Winona Ryder is Winona Ryder at this point, but this was a huge breakout performance for Angelina Jolie. I had no idea Elizabeth Moss was in this, like at the beginning of her West Wing run. Um, Jared Leto comes like a jump scare, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> uh, he looks so much mm -hmm. like Zac Efron, uh, which is a, a strange reality. Um, but yeah, it, like you said, an all-star cast, but a young all-star cast and a fun one to return to after having like all these relationships to many of these actors as both celebrities and as actors um, and then going back to see um, them kind of play in these different kinds of roles in these like very showy roles in, in Claymore. Um, another thing that stood out in this being mainly because it takes place in a psychiatric clinic is it's impossible to not think of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, they're very different movies with very different plots and ideas and themes. Um, I do feel like there's some references to it and just the way they, they film it and the way they uh, present like some of the nurses and the way they kind of play with expectation, knowing that, you know, Cuckoo's Nest is one of the great American films of the 20th century, um, one of the few films to win like all five big five Oscars. And uh, even though that takes place at a men's clinic and this one it, uh, takes place at a women's clinic, uh, it's easy to make that comparison even if it's like an unfair and like incorrect one no i mean i think that's like a very logical thing i mean they both have like a big scene where there's an outing that like mm -hmm. they get in trouble for there is like um the main character of both of these movies are both contemplating whether or not they are crazy and deserve to be here mm -hmm. or not crazy is like not even a appropriate or good term to use anymore but they're both like considering why am i even here i don't need to be here um obviously a uh, woman's experience is very different than a man's experience but like 
that is like a very parallel situation between the two as well. I do think that Lisa, Angelina Jolie's character, sort of takes over the idea of like the one who's like acting out all the time, uh, the way Cuckoo's Nest, it's the main character. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, And then the last thing that kind of stood out was uh, upon learning that James Mangold directed this movie, um, I was like, wait, this is the dude who directed Logan and like Ford versus Ferrari and Copland. And, wa- and walk the line and walk just the like line. so many ran- random movies but especially like ford vs ferrari is probably the most dad movie we've had other than top gun maverick in the last 10 years logan is like incredibly bro-ish uh and it's interesting to know that years before that um he directed girl interrupted and winona Ryder sought him out to direct it after she watched heavy um which is like not similar but like definitely not ford vs ferrari and uh, it's interesting to see and look back on his filmography and be like, wait, you, the guy who directed Girl Interrupted is also going to direct the fifth Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's, how that, that's how that works. That's the trajectory. This like almost should have been like a uh, a Penny Marshall movie or something like that. Like, like a twisted Penny Marshall movie. Maybe she's like too pure, but... I guess we shouldn't like silo that like only Penny Marshall can tell like meaningful stories about women relationships, but <laughs> like way more than like James Mangold, I would assume. But he did great, <laughs> obviously. Right. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Like I was kind of waiting for like the, I don't know, male gaze of everything to slap me over the head with it. And like, I'm a guy, so it's not going to be as obvious to me. So uh, and a straight guy, it's not going to be as obvious to me. Um but I didn't think anything was like egregious or exploitive or, you know, there's not a ton of commentary on like the role in the confines of like a woman's life in the 60s. Other than like just the fact that many of these women in the movie are like teenagers. Um, and so that's a natural like pushback. But uh, I didn't think anything was like egregious in terms of the way it was told. I didn't think so either. And I've seen this movie a couple times. What have you thought about most since you've finished watching this movie? It's Winona Ryder and Angelina Jolie. The two biggest performances, obviously Winona is the central one. Angelina Jolie is the showiest and uh, movie-stealing one. Um, and as I was watching it, I'm you know observing their like relationship with each other, the infatuation that Suzanne is starting to have with Lisa, um, the... I don't know, trust that Lisa is showing Susanna and in the performances of it all, I'm like trying to see the differences of like, why was Angelina Jolie the performance that people stuck with, especially Academy wise, as opposed to Winona Ryder. Cause I thought Winona Ryder as per usual was really strong. Um, in a way it felt like Winona was trying while Angelina Jolie was just like naturally vibing. But I also think that's just a trait of like the characters themselves because Susanna is like, in a way trying to figure out Susanna kind of like assumes she is not all the way right. Right. Yeah. She thinks something is wrong with her other than just general teen angst bullshit. Whereas like Lisa does have some stuff going on with her and has for a long time. And so, and she's been in Claymore for eight years. So like this is home for her. This is her natural environment. And that gives Angelina Jolie more to chew. And so it was, it was interesting to see like the, contrast of not only the characters but the performance choices within that i also think that this comes at a time where we don't have a relationship with angelina jolie the celebrity 
And yeah. we definitely at this point have a relationship with Ange- with Winona Ryder, the celebrity. And while this wasn't Angelina's like breakout role at all, um, it is definitely pre her becoming a Hollywood icon when she was just an actress. And Winona had been in so many movies beforehand and we have so many relationships with her. Um, and I think that like, that really played well for Angelina Jolie that that role and this performance really stuck with people because it was just, she's so vibrant. Um, even though she's mean and mm-hmm. not well and vindictive, like she just is a light you can't stop looking at, which is why Winona Ryder's character like is so drawn to her as well. Yeah. Basically Susanna for the first half of this movie is like Lisa step on my neck. Lisa, like, you know, roll me over with a tractor, like all those joke tweets that people say yeah. um, is basically how Susanna feels, um, which is why she when it, they finally uh, escape Claymore. She's like, I'm just going to kiss Lisa and then we're never going to address it again. But yeah, I mean, even just in the the body mannerisms, like oftentimes Susanna is like shrinking herself and then Lisa is like man spreading while smoking a cigarette. Um, and that's just the energy that they're both giving off. It's very like, do I want to be with this girl or do I want to be this girl? Um, I yeah, I think that Susanna admires Lisa's ability to just live loudly, where Susanna feels like she could never and is also not that interested, but is just like so enamored by someone who wants to do that. Yeah, it, like Susanna thinks that Lisa is like freely being herself. Yeah, when Lisa is actually just like trapped within whatever's going on with her yeah Um, she's having a huge manic episode which is is what we're watching right and but in terms of the performance itself i i like not to say it's easy but like angelina jolie has so much to chew on in this performance and like it's the show of your role it's the one that's supposed to steal your attention um but i was kind of like just locked into winona Ryder, probably because this is like what the third winona movie we've watched on this podcast we've only got Um, one more (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then i'll and then i'll start my stranger things watch um <laughs> then you'll understand but i i do think this she why not writer has like a particular way to generate empathy for her characters yeah i don't know exactly what it is i think it's like the way she controls her voice um i was looking into like where this kind of came in her career uh i saw I, I think it was wesley like a young wesley morris or it was roger ebert i can't remember uh, when i was reading reviews but uh it was kind of they called it her transition from like ingenue to like adult actor um, because it's not a glamorous like role. She doesn't have guys falling all over her or anything like that. I guess Jared Leto is, but like whatever. Um, and I, I just think she she says so much on her face without saying anything, without having to do a lot with it. Um, and I think uh, she showed like a real command in this movie. Um, and. It's, it's a role that she wanted um, pretty early. Yeah, I agree. And she has interactions with other characters outside of Angelina Jolie's character that really showcase this as well. Like which ones do you count like that come into mind? Um, definitely the scene with uh, her and Whoopi Goldberg in the bathtub, like in the oh, middle okay, of yeah. the movie um, where she is so depressed and probably over medicated and is like 
really missing Lisa and all of these things. And she just has like this huge outburst um, on Valerie. And I just like think about that scene all the time. I'm like, oh, that's her acting, like capital Mm -hmm. A acting. We're doing it now. Uh, She gets venomous really quick. Um, It's a lot of control all around, though, because I don't think Winona overacts. She acts like a crazy, spoiled, privileged girl who like might have some like racist tendencies to unpack. I think she's acting the way she thinks Lisa would act in that situation. I think that's what Susanna's doing. Right. I think that's a good observation. And, and, but both Winona and Whoopi Goldberg, um, shout out to Whoopi Goldberg in that scene. It's like a lot of control. It's not, they're not overacting, especially Whoopi Goldberg is not overacting. She's very just like sniping and precise with the way she's delivering every line. Um, it's, it's solidly written for Valerie as well. Um, but I read in research that Winona had attempted to buy the rights for the film in like 93 and like was really just pinpointing this movie, this role as uh, one that could be helping her like transition into that kind of adulthood, difficult to navigate period of um, an actor's career. So smart. Shout um, out to Winona. Besides these two actresses at the center of the film, what else have you thought about most since you watched um, it was a real stark moment when Lisa gets brought back to the clinic for a second time um, in the movie. Um, in the f- beginning of the film, when Lisa comes, she is a uh, subject of intrigue and of just exuding this cool girl energy. And in the second time she comes back, it's almost like this uh, horror movie where the monster has returned and... Um, Suzanne is trying to figure out how she can avoid or handle or, you know, what's going to happen now. And it's a lot more, not suspenseful, but um, concerned about this known commodity and what Lisa can do. Yeah, it's definitely more serious. And, and like, obviously, the scenes mirror each other as well. Um, and then I thought about this movie in tandem with The Virgin Suicides that also came out in 1999. Uh, lots of just very sad girls going through life and trying to come of age as well uh this movie is kind of like a has yeah, some bell jar stuff to it um yeah. I, I i don't know what it would have been like to be a young young woman in this uh period of time but uh i feel like these movies would have been important in some capacity we love sad girl movies <laughs> i also love the virgin suicides <laughs> yes i was gonna say you you are a huge virgin suicides fan what a surprise. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's like a really good notion. It's like a very late 90s thing to just start talking about like these like not so glamorous sides of women's emotions. And like everyone has these emotions, but like telling women's stories and, you know, there's no pretty bow at the end of them or there's no like, yeah, I, I, I think that they're both really good. Mm-hmm. I think uh, also just uh, it being the 90s, obviously, like the nostalgia or the reflection stories are going to take place in like the period of time that those movies take place in. Just like how now we'll probably see a lot more stories that take place in the throwback to the 90s or the 2000s mm-hmm. uh, because the power players or the people kind of finally getting their cracks at uh, filmmaking are going to reflect on like when they grew up absolutely 
What were some of the first things you looked up about the movie once you finished? Um, so I had no idea this was a memoir until like the very, very end of the movie. So I just looked up like comparison to the text. Uh, in general, it just seemed like they dramatized some stuff to make it more Hollywood, which um, naturally. Uh, Susanna in real life had a way closer relationship to her roommate Georgina all the way into adulthood. The real life Susanna Kaysen, uh wasn't a huge fan of the movie. Uh, she called it melodramatic and kind of skewed her uh, memoir uh, in a way. But I feel like in terms of adaptations, that just is kind of par for the course. It's hard to watch your own story be told and and in a Hollywood type way, I would imagine. I personally would just be happy that Winona Ryder was playing me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, I, yeah. I also looked up uh, just casting of this movie. Um, lots of people considered for various roles. This could have been even more of an all-star cast. Uh, Reese Witherspoon was considered, Christina Ritchie, Kate Hudson, all auditioned for roles. Parker Posey turned down a role, which would have been nuts. Uh, Apparently, James Mangold met with Courtney Love to talk about the character Lisa, which makes this an entirely different movie. Classic. Like, of course, you look at the character of Lisa and be like, oh, Courtney Love. Yeah. (laughs) Classic. It was yet another movie where Reese Witherspoon almost had it. Also, like, I guess, like, Reese could have played Brittany Murphy's character, but, like, Brittany Murphy is so good as I know. like she's so twitchy like even in like all of her roles like even in like clueless i think about like she's so like fidgety and i think that yeah. like that's such a good characteristic for her to have as that character we could talk a little bit more about Brittany murphy just in general here too because like she's a huge star that obviously died too young and probably would have only added to the weight of this cast um her kind of life looms in this movie as well just given her uh character's demise at the end um but yeah i think twitchy is a good call i don't i think the first britney murphy movie i've watched i watched was like uptown girls essential text in my life <laughs> uptown girls. is that a sister movie does that count yeah it's like a backdoor sister movie <laughs> like different than a secret sister movie but it's a backdoor christmas or it's a backdoor sister movie we need to do like a sibling movie swap I love. I'm ready. Um, I think honestly, like I want to talk just uh, just for a hot second while we're on the topic of Brittany Murphy about all of the other girls in this show. Like mm-hmm. obviously, Wynonna Ryder and Angelina Jolie. To have the other three people be Clea Duvall, Brittany Murphy, and Elizabeth Moss is so like weighty. I, I think any of those women like could have been like they all could have switched roles. Like, it's just, like, five star players on your front line. It's so good. Um, I think that, like, Cleo Duvall as the pathological liar is so funny. And, like, she tells a story about Polly and then, uh, being like, burning the puppy. And, like, that's how she got her burn scars. And then Winona Ryder's character is like, oh, what are you in here for? She's like, oh, I'm a pathological liar. And then, like, it just kind of... <laughs> cuts to Susanna and then it like baits to the next scene. I think that's so funny. And um, I think it's great. I think Clea Duvall's like face acting is really good. Elizabeth Moss brings such like an innocence to the role. Um, Mm. But when she like loses it one night, it is really good. Um, Yeah. It's just, and then all of them at the ice cream shop are just like 12 out of 10. It's so good. Oh yeah. 
that poor that poor uh cashier i know no chance no chance not a chance at all but you know all of these actors that you mentioned like could have definitely been in it but for them to land on those five um actresses at that time in all of their careers i think is just perfect and then of course just in the back pocket of this movie is whoopi goldberg yeah exactly (laughs) what else did you look up Oscars, naturally. I know Angelina Jolie won for this movie. That's just something I knew going in. Um, so I looked up if anything else popped off. But no, she was like the main takeaway from the film. Uh, both uh, Winona Ryder and Angelina Jolie were like thought of as like, even if someone didn't like the movie, they liked those performances. Um, I looked up Angelina Jolie's Oscar speech. Um, Very famous. Interesting. One. Yeah. Infamous even. Uh, really loves her brother. Yeah. I'm not sure if you know, but there is a very famous photo of her kissing her brother on the lips at the red carpet event um, right before that. And then in her speech, like immediately, she starts talking about how she's in love with her brother. And then at the end, thanks her brother again and like says how much she loves him. They have like a very interesting history. It's worth reading about. I don't know if that's, I would say that's intriguing, but that is fascinating. I also love my siblings, but like not that much. I, I, I I find it I'm not judging. I just find it uh interesting and a choice like to kiss like your family members on the lips. I never understood that one. I also um, just feel like it the like people who are famous who have famous parents, like there's no shot, just like normalcy, I think. <laughs> and like there was a lot well, Audrey going Hepburn on. was great even though she was Catherine Hepburn's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot going on. I mean, there is like um, it was confirmed that earlier that day, Angelina and her brother, Jamie, both visited their mother in the hospital who like ended up dying of cancer, um, like earlier that day. And they were like in a weird mindset, but that's not like kiss your brother on the lips in public sort of mindset. Um, but you know, again, I just don't feel like people with who are, instantly famous who have very famous parents have like a a solid shot at having a very normal life uh that's very fair but it is a it's a very famous speech and a very famous red carpet kiss (laughs) oscars moments man you never know what you're gonna get you never know what you're gonna get i will say that she did beat out um my girl tony collette for the sixth sense um she deserves it over Tony Collette, but I love that Tony Collette was nominated for an Oscar for The Sixth Sense because she's so good in it. I honestly add Tony Collette to the bingo card. Yes, Tony Collette. <laughs> Get her an Tony Oscar. Tony Collette. Hell yeah. yeah. I want more Tony Collette merch. <laughs> more. <laughs> that means I have some. <laughs> so good. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Do you have any questions for me? Um, generally, just when did you watch this movie for the first time? And what's your general relationship to this movie as you've gotten older? Yeah, I've seen this movie a couple of different times in a couple of different stages of my life. Um, I probably first watched it in high school. Um, I was, you know, everyone knows now that I grew up like a very big Winona Ryder fan. And I was like, oh, she's in this movie and it is famous. And oh my gosh, look at these actors I recognize. And, um, but without like truly understanding, I think like the real weight of it all, um, you know, I could tell I was a sad girl. Um, but there's a lot of like 
a lot of things unsaid that are definitely said once you get older. Um, and then, you know, as, as I've watched it, as I've matured, as I've um, gotten older and watched it a couple different times, just like different scenes stand out to me as like the most important scenes. But I do think about the line, um, I didn't want to kill myself. Four days ago, you chased a bottle of aspirin with a bottle of vodka. I had a headache. I think about that line <laughs> all the time of just like being so out of touch and not understanding the reality of your moves when you have serious mental illnesses. Um, And that's like nothing she could have like handled. That's not a bad thing. It just is like such a reality. And then there is like that middle part of the movie where, you know, she's coming to terms with her. She's coming to terms with her mental illness. She's missing Lisa. She's probably over medicated and she just is like a corpse of herself and that's when Whoopi Goldberg throws her into the bathtub um, and things like that. And like that always stands out to me now that I've had a little bit more experiences in my own mental health journey. Um, but I just this movie is like always stuck with me. I think it's like a very fair look at mental illness. Like I don't think it's like mocking anybody, which I don't think that there are necessarily movies that try to mock them. I just think they get it wrong. It's a very specific and personal situation. And I think that they do a really good job of all of them. It also captures mental health care in the 1960s and, and for women. Yes. Um, where they don't have like the vocabulary to articulate women wanting something else other than to go to a girl's school after high school and like become a, a wife and a mother. Um, and if they don't fit into those roles, they're just shepherded into like, well, let's just throw them into some place until they figure it out. I also think that this is a good just look at how we don't have very many mental health specific hospitals anymore. A lot of them were closed down. Um I would say 90 something percent of them. Mm. Like if you need to check yourself in for mental health reasons, if someone is doing it like voluntary check-in or involuntary check-in, it's usually just at like a regular hospital or it's at like a rehab center or it's at like, but there's like not as many mental health specific locations anymore like this, where if you took an entire bottle of aspirin with a whole bottle of vodka, someone would be able to help you and take you somewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is just like America's changing look on mental health. And like, maybe someone won't put money into that situation again, but like someone within government. Um, But I think that this is also just like a very specific time, you know, this and cuckoo's nest of just having like, these are not like, these are just like situations that don't happen anymore because there's not locations like this anymore. The movie's good. It's really well done. I really like this movie. Yeah, I could say. <laughs> Every time I watch it too, I'm like, wow, this movie's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I can't <kind of> forget. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, do you have any other questions for me? Yes. Um, this is sort of like a movie of scenes. And I wanted to know what your favorite scene is. I mean, I think it's the ice cream scene. It's the most fun one. Either that or where they uh, sing to Polly. Like, it's a rough start because Polly's, like, freaking out naturally. Um, But, and then they start singing downtown, which is, like, 
fun girl anthem uh and also made me think of made me think of last night in Soho, uh, which also uses downtown in a in a crucial sense. Um, so I think those two. It's it not necessarily like always a fun movie, um, and there's a lot of like heavy scenes, but it's also a hangout in, in a lot of parts as well. Yeah, those are definitely the two best choices. Um, I think sort of in the opposite end of the spectrum, but for like uh, like dramatic reasons, the scene where Lisa. R- takes Susanna's diary and reads it aloud to everybody and they have this like big sort of like Mm -hmm. clash is just like something I kind of always forget that that scene happens and that's coming up I'm like oh my god oh it's like 15 minutes left yeah it's like because my brain is shattered but it also made me think of read it and weep (laughs) but it's so heavy and I'm like dang here we go I also have hate having my writing read out loud so I get it I would rather die than anyone read my diary out loud to me or to others. That's horrible. Oh, I'm talking about any of my writing, and I'm a writer. I if have, anybody starts reciting my articles to me, I'm like, that's a dumbass sentence. My job is to read my writing out loud <laughs> and then be like, here you go, public. <laughs> Listen to me read my own writing. It's terrible. Haunting. Yeah. Um, but in general, I think like you, one thing I forgot to mention, but that all three of these scenes sort of indicate is that like, I think that this movie, while very twisted, is a very good representation of found sisterhood, which is mm. crucial to me. I think we love a family you choose. Yes, I have my own sisterhood, which I am so grateful for. But like having girl friends is like such a beautiful experience. And even though they are all here for heartbreaking reasons, they are they're banding together. So I think that's also like a part of the movie I like a lot. Very different than the other movie. <laughs> One time I will find a movie that's in theme. Not not in theme, because they've all been in theme, but like in tone. <laughs> we'll have like a good tonal <laughs> movie duo one time, but we love a contrast. <laughs> Would you watch this movie again? Maybe I I can't think of like a mood I'll be in to want to revisit it. Um, yeah, because it's not like a fun hang necessarily. But I'm glad I watched it. Okay, I'm gonna say because you're always calling me out that I pick my movie for which movie do we like most of the two. Your response is always like, I guess so. <laughs> Because it's always like, all right, like let's like like someone kills themselves. I no, I understand. I know why. It just is like so. It's like the two most reliable things. Is like I give like a pretty like emphatic yes. I will watch your movie again. Great movie, Zach. And you're like, I'm like, don't want to think about this film for a little bit. (laughs) You know what? Let's let's move to that uh, faded question. Which movie did you like more out of the two? I'm going to say again, uh, my movie, but again, classically, your movie really took me by surprise, was so good, and I will probably watch it again, like, sooner than I'll watch Girl Interrupted again. Mm. How often do you rewatch the fire back up Girl Interrupted? Um, Not that often. Usually just, like, when I notice it's on streaming again, because it will, like, go on and off streaming so, like, I probably rewatched Girl Interrupted a couple of months ago when it got put on Netflix. And then mm-hmm. I, like, then had seen it and I didn't rewatch it again until we did this movie uh, swap. But, you know, when it gets taken off of Netflix and then it, like, 
10 months when it gets put on Hulu uh, and it'll be like new movies. I'll be like, oh yeah, Girl Interrupted. <laughs> I'm like fired up. <laughs> sort yeah, of that situation. Fair. No surprise. I al- I also picked the movie that I chose uh, for yeah. the story of the one I, like between the two. It's like one of my 15 favorite movies ever. So uh, yeah. easy choice for me. Um, so to move from that to like have the same answers about the next movies we're going to watch probably. <laughs> uh, what are those next movies that we're going to watch uh, for our October edition of Blind Spotters? Yeah, we're swapping some monster movies, baby. I am going to make Zach watch a movie that also could have fit into this category, all-star cast. Zach is going to watch Interview with a Vampire. Hell yeah. And and Amanda is going to watch Attack the Block. Again, tonally, I will never be able to match you. (laughs) I have no idea what the tone of Interview with a Vampire is. I don't know what the tone of Attack the Block is, but tell me what you do know about Interview with the Vampire. I know Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise are in it. Is Kirsten Dunst in it as like a little child? Yes. Okay, that's it. And I also know it's like a divisive movie. Yes, that's correct. What, what do you know about Attack the Block? Really not much at all. I Do you know think like who's in it? I, John Boyega? Yeah, and there's another person that's in it that I feel like will be like, holy shit, she's in it, but I don't want to okay. like spoil it. Okay, there's I mean, another one in right Interview with a Vampire that you're going to be watching, and you're like, oh my god, it's so-and-so. So I'm glad we both have someone. <laughs> um, that'll be our October movie swap, talking about a couple of monsters or many monsters. Um, other than that, though, what's on your uh, watch list for the coming ter- coming weeks? We have two excellent movies coming to theater. There is a chance that neither of these movies are actually good, but I am going to believe that they're (laughs) going to be great, and I'm going to enjoy seeing both of them in the theaters. Don't Worry Darling is coming out before, after this podcast comes out, before the next one. So I can't wait to see Don't Worry Darling. Um, The other one I can't wait to see is See How They Run, which is the Saoirse Ronan and Sam Rockwell movie that just looks like so much fun. There's a whole slew of movies that's coming out that are basically taking what Knives Out did and are making it their own. And that's fine with me. I've read so many Agatha Christie books. They're all kind of the same. So I love watching any movie that's like going to be like this with a ton of actors in it. So See How They Run is coming out. And then inspired by this swap, I am going to finally watch North by Northwest which is not something I have been avoiding, just something that I haven't gotten to, but I know I need to watch and I want to watch. So this is a good inspiration. North by Northwest potentially has my favorite train-related scene. Oh, exciting. I'm also excited for Don't Worry Darling, obviously. Uh, Yes. Huge fan of Florence Pugh, uh, famously. And then see how they run. I'm excited for Saoirse to have fun in a movie. I'm excited for that too. It's been a long time. It kind of looks Wes Anderson-y in terms of the cadence of things. Perfect. What else are you looking forward to? What else is on your watch list? Oh, okay. I'm finally going to watch Return of the King. I'm going to carve <laughs> out the five and a half hours because Rings of Power is uh, going to be many weeks in at this point. Uh, I also want to watch uh, the rom-com Down With Love uh, featuring one Ewan McGregor. Apparently, mm. it's just charming as all hell. Uh, so I've had that on the watch list for a minute and I'll probably commit to it um, in the coming weeks. And then the last one is uh, The Lady Eve. Um 
another classic screwball comedy film from 1941. Barbara Stanwyck, Henry Fonda um, heard nothing but fun things in that movie. So those are on our watch list, as well as Interview with a Vampire and Attack the Block for our October movie swap. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it every time. Truly, honestly, this is so much fun. And we love that you guys love to tune in. You can always find a new episode of this show unless I am having internet issues on the second Tuesday of every month. Um, Go back, listen to our catalog as well. We've got 18 episodes at this point, which is so exciting. Um, You can follow the podcast on Instagram at BlindSpottersPod. You can follow us also on Twitter at BlindSpotters. Zach, where can they find you online? You can find me on Twitter at ZachPocklib. And as always, you can find me on Letterboxd. Amanda, what about you? You can send any compliments and any mean things you want to say about Zach that you don't want to actually say to him to me at Amanda Luberto, and then I will bite you in the comments. <laughs> Unless you're complimenting <laughs> Amanda's me. about to throw these hands. No one's allowed to be mean to Zach. But you are allowed to give me compliments. <laughs> Those are my rules for social media. Take that media. energy of being mean and then just like turn it into positivity toward Amanda. Say the opposite and then put my name in it instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Correct. Just hit like the like antonym converter that definitely exists somewhere. and then Absolutely. At Amanda Luberto. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. We will see you again in October with some monster movies. Happy watching. Happy listening. Bye. This is the voice of doom calling. Your days are numbered. (laughs) Excellent.